walking through the waiting room back to the clinic. Meanwhile, everybody that works there is just looking at me, and it's almost like I'm, you know, dead man walking. It's like everybody knew, right? I finally knew what I was going to die from. Mm. What do you do when circumstances change the course of your life in a negative way? You weren't expecting it, you didn't ask for it, but here it is. How do you deal with that? And is it possible to allow that circumstance to make a positive change in your life? Sometimes we can get stuck in the unfortunate events of life. Sometimes bad things happen to good people. How do I change my perspective? Because if nothing changes, nothing changes. Hi, I'm Eric Hutchinson. Welcome to the If Nothing Changes podcast. Today, I have one of my very best friends with us, and he has some unique events that have happened in his life. I'm really excited to talk with him today, and so let's get into it, shall we? Well, hello, friend. Hello. Uh, My name is Michael Lawrence. I live here, born and raised, actually, in northwest Arkansas, kind of a rare native uh, these days as this area continues to grow. Um, but, uh, but yeah, and of course I, you know, um, like everything here in Northwest Arkansas, you either work for, or you, uh, serve Walmart. And so I'm on the other side and, and, uh, deal with, uh, Walmart as a supplier and, um, yeah, I'm very blessed. So you grew up here in Northwest Arkansas, Rogers, right? Uh, correct. I graduated from Rogers High School, uh, born in Fayetteville, just a homeboy. Yeah. And so, yeah. So tell me a little bit about your family. How many siblings did you have and how, how, your, how your relationship was with them? I have an older sister. Uh, she's 18 months older than me. And then I have a much younger brother who's 12 years younger than me. So I'm, I'm there in the middle. Um, I, I, you know, have very different parents. Um, you know, my dad, uh, you know, he struggled in life with, uh, with alcohol. Um, you know, there was, uh, there was definitely some difficulties with him growing up. Um, I felt like I was always with both parents, always fighting for approval, you might say, um, for different reasons. So again, dad dealt with, um, struggles with alcohol. He, you know, had a temper. I felt like he always wanted to be with his his drinking buddies more than he wanted to be with me. Uh, then on the flip side, I had a mother that if the church doors are open, we were going to church. Um, but still yet, always felt like I was fighting for um, her love and her approval. And so, and so that poised a lot of problems growing up and anxieties, self-esteem issues, self-confidence, uh, whatever it may be. And so, um, yeah, so that's, uh, that's what, you know, growing up uh, in my household was like. So let me ask you this. So a lot of times whenever there's alcohol in a family, sometimes there's uh, people that are angry drinkers. Was there any abuse from your father? Never any physical abuse. It was more of just, you know, that verbal and, and things of that nature. Uh, on mom's side, it, you know, I never got any physical abuse from my mother, but, you know, I definitely I would I would say there was, you know, um, some emotional. And, and again, you're you're just always fighting for that attention or love or whatever, because any any slight step out of, you know, what, you know, you wanted, they wanted, then you were out. So did that push you closer 
to your brother and sister? Because a lot of times when the parents aren't there or, you know, there's emotional abuse or those kind of things, did you get closer to your sister and brother because of that? No, uh, no. We, um, so my sister and I growing up, we were not close. We were always at odds fighting and whatever else. Um, and now you have my brother, 12 years younger, um, being the baby of the family, I felt like he, you know, he, he was definitely spoiled. Everything was just handed to him. And being the middle, I was that stereotypical middle child where it felt like, you know, I'm forgotten. And it just caused a lot of issues. And, and even to this day, there's, you know, there's definitely, um, I definitely don't feel like I'm part of my own family. Yeah. If, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Tell us about your early 20s and kind of maybe the events that led up to something happening to you physically. So I wanted to go to college. Uh, my mom and dad never went. Uh, my sister never went. And so I would have been the first in my family to, to try. And so it was a huge personal goal of mine. Um, got a couple of years in and um, things started to happen to me physically to where um, I couldn't continue, so I had to drop out. And it, it just really depressed me because, you know, it was a goal that I did not achieve. Um, but again, it, things were happening to me physically that I didn't know what was going on. And I started getting extremely tired is, is the first symptom of, of my physical issue. I was just very tired. And then, and then it morphed into um, I started seeing, like, I, I, str I struggled with being able to see clearly. And I, you know, I went to a couple of doctors, and they tell me the same thing, right? They say, well, you're going to school full-time, and you're trying to work a full-time job. You're just, you're stressed out. You need to slow down. And so I would go down to part-time. And, uh, and it still just wouldn't help. I remember I'd be sitting in my dorm room and, and I noticed my nose was numb, like completely numb, and I couldn't feel it. I mean, I could pinch it, pinch it as hard as I could, and I couldn't feel it. Um, that quickly spread from my nose down through around my mouth to where then I was starting to talk slurred. And um, I could be talking and in mid-sentence have drool run down because I couldn't feel it. And so, you know, and this is when people started thinking, you know, something's wrong. Like, are you on drugs? So and, people saw this. Oh, oh, people. Yeah, it was yeah. very evident. Yeah, you couldn't help but notice. And, um, and, and I was aware that things were happening but I didn't know what was, and and not that I was just sitting back, like I was going to doctors, and I was trying to figure this out. What um, did your mom and your dad and your family think and say to you as they were seeing these physical things manifest themselves? My dad, he's just a, um, he, he didn't deal with feelings well, which is probably why he drank. Um, he um, he was a country boy through and through, and so. You just didn't talk feelings, right? And so he would just, you know, he'd see me and his fix is like, you know, snap out of it, quit, quit acting stupid, you know, and just, you know. My mom, given the way my dad is and, um, and she had her issues, she felt like I was taking the same path as my dad. 
and she thought um, I was drinking. She thought I was on drugs, and she was at the point of um, she didn't really want to have anything to do with me. She goes, basically, stay away until you get your life back together, right? And um, and so it got to the point of um, my brother was making fun of me. Um, my sister was calling me names, you know, because of, like, my mom was just kicking me to the curb and my sister, like, you know, why are you being such a jerk, you know, and all this other stuff. My dad not talking to me. Um, friends seeing this and thinking, I've just gone off the deep end, right? And they start distancing themselves from me. I think when it's all said and done, I probably went to, um, if I remember right, like about 12 different types of doctors. You know, a couple of psychologists, um, a chiropractor, um, eye doctor, uh, and then medical doctors. And, um, you know, and none of them telling me, you know, giving me anything of any substance of what's wrong with me. Got so bad, I got to the point where I was basically homeless. And because my mom, I couldn't stay with her, couldn't stay with my dad. Um, you know, my sister didn't live locally. Uh, and of course, you know, she wouldn't let me either. Friends were distancing themselves. Like I, I literally had nobody to turn to. I had no bed. I was homeless. I remember having everything I owned in my car. You can't help but be angry. You can't, you can't help but be angry with God, mm. right? And, and, and that's where I was. And I, I had $362 to my name is all the money that I had. And um, so I would, you know, one night sleep in my car. Another night I would, you know, get a cheap motel for $19.95 to get a shower. I finally got a job um, at a factory, uh, you know, and just doing factory work. And, and I was trying to make money, but that didn't last long. I uh, was let go because I couldn't do the work, right? Mm. I finally got another job, uh, you know, with, uh, with uh, Walmart, and, um, which was a blessing. And uh, in Walmart at the time, they were very good to their employees in the sense of um, <laughs> basically it, it was difficult at the time to get fired from Walmart. And so as long as you try and you work hard, Walmart's going to help you in whatever they can. And so I was very thankful for that. But at the same time, physically, I was deteriorating. And um, in Walmart... You know, my bosses could see that. And so I knew without a doubt there was immediate regret for hiring me. Mm. You know what I mean? And, yeah. and so, so I, yeah, I had that. I felt like, I mean, lack of a bet, I felt like the world was against me. And no matter how hard yeah. I tried, how hard I worked, I just, I just kept deteriorating and I didn't know why. And I was at this point now. I was convinced that I was going to die of a rare disease. And after I die, they're going to do an autopsy and they're going to name the disease after me or <laughs> whatever. I mean, I, I just, I was convinced of that. And as much as that hurt and depressed me, it's just like that's what was in my head. Yeah. My mom worked for a doctor um, at the time. 
but I would never go see that doctor because my mom and I just did right. not get along. It was very volatile and so forth. But my mom went to him and was wanting his help in getting me basically uh, instituted or, or put into an institution to keep me away from her, right? Like, uh, like apparently I scared my mom, right? As she was asking for his help, she, he, he then responded. He goes, well, wait a second. And so he wanted to know what, what my symptoms were. Like, what is he acting like? What is he doing? And mom would describe it. He said that he needs an MRI. And so he, he ordered one, and he told my mom, he says, I don't know how you do it, but you tell Michael that he's gonna, he has an MRI it was the next day, like at 2 o'clock or 2.30 in the morning or in the afternoon. You figure out how to get them there. So now I have an MRI. To me, it was just another test, right? I didn't think anything of it, and uh, it was no big deal. That night before the MRI, 8, 9 o'clock at night, and there was a knock on the door. <laughs> and um, it was a guy that I went to high school with that I hadn't seen since high school. And so you talk, you know, you talk about it's probably been three, four years since I'd seen this guy. Anyway, I'm just like, well, what's been going on with you, right? And like, what have you been doing since high school? And he's telling me what's happened to him since high school. And he, um, he said he got sick and he had a brain tumor. And, uh, excuse me. It's okay. So he's telling me about his experience. Here it is the night before my MRI. And he's telling me about a brain tumor. And so I asked him, I said, Eddie, what, what were you experiencing? Like, how did you feel? How did you know? And he just started describing my symptoms to a T. So I knew, I knew the night before my MRI, there was no doubt I had a brain tumor. Mm. And so it was just God's way of just preparing me, and, you know, for, um, you know, the, the worst news I could possibly get, right? Right. Here it is. The next day I have an MRI. I go back to my apartment. And by the time I get to my apartment, and I had a friend drive me back and forth, my mom was there. Mind you, we're not getting along. <clears throat> and she, um, she goes, I need you to come with me. The doctor wants to talk to you. And mind you, I just had the MRI an hour and a half ago. And we, we drove in complete silence to the doctor and... Uh, go back to, and I'll, I'll never forget this, where I go into the clinic and I'm walking through the waiting room back to the clinic. Meanwhile, everybody that works there is just looking at me and it's almost like I'm, you know, dead man walking. It's like everybody knew, right? And um, I go into the doctor's, um, his office, his actual personal office, sit across from him, my mom's next to me, and uh, he starts off by apologizing. And he's apologizing on behalf of the entire medical community 
on how much that we have failed you. No doubt. And, um, and he says, Michael, you have a brain tumor. And it is very serious. It's at a, it's, it's, um, at a very serious state. And we're, we're going to have to do emergency surgery. We'll have to get you know, a neurosurgeon. And I, I sat there, and I'm hearing this, but it's not news to me, right? Because I, I, it was just confirmation. Um, but um, at the same time, it was a relief, mm-hmm. right? Finally knew. I, I finally knew what I was going to die from. Mm. But at the same time, it was... Um, validation and I remember that night I walked who knows how many miles I walked I walked all over town everywhere right and I came to the conclusion that uh, that I'm in for a fight of my life and just to let you know how God works I think it was a day after right and I'm at my mom's house I had a phone call and I uh I answered it, and um, he said, do you know who this is? And, and I immediately recognized the voice. And it was somebody that I'd only met maybe two or three times in my life. But again, I recognized the voice. And this individual, he was much younger than me, but he had had three tumors, hmm. you know, as growing up. And uh, anyway, you know, we just started talking and uh, he started coming over and he just started, he just, he just became my friend. He knew exactly what I was going through. He knew exactly the feelings, the emotions, everything I was going through. And he had, he, God had given him a gift because he knew exactly what to say and when to say it. And he could, he could tell you exactly what you needed to hear, um, but then at the same time, he could make you laugh. Um, he took my mind off of it. He made me feel normal, knowing that, you know, my life is coming to an end, or so I thought. And so he was truly a godsend. And um, I remember the night before I was to go down to surgery, he calls me. And he said, uh, he goes, I'm going to tell you what you're going to, what you're going to experience tomorrow and, um, or when you go to surgery. So he started describing the events the morning of surgery. You're going to be in your room and um, eventually an individual is going to come get you and, and, you know, put you on the gurney and start taking you down to uh, the operating room. And he said, um, I don't want you to pay any attention to him. He goes, what I want you to do is I want you to start. <laughs> Excuse me. It's okay. I want you to start praying. And you don't pray to God begging for your life. Don't you dare do that. He said, you pray and you praise him. You praise him for the 23 years you've had on this earth. 
you thank him for all the blessings, the grace, the mercy, everything. You just praise him. Give him thanks. And you don't ever say amen. He goes, the doctor is going to, they're going to hook you up to everything. And they're going to eventually tell you to count from 10 to 1 backwards. You're not going to make it to 8. He goes, but even then you do not say amen. And you're going to go under. If you're fortunate enough, if you're blessed enough to wake up, I promise you, you'll remember that you're talking to God. But if you're not fortunate enough to wake up, what better way to, to enter through the gates by praising him? Mm. Mind you, the night before, like I am just, I am losing it, right? And all that. And so now it's the morning of the surgery and I remember all this and I start praying and I'm doing it. And sure enough, I do. I you know, count from 10 to 1 backwards, I get to 8, and I'm out, right? And I don't remember anything else. And um, and then I wake up. The neurosurgeon kind of hovers over me. He's He just said, uh, said, Mr. Lawrence, you did well. <laughs> he said, you did well. He said, you pulled through like a champ, and, um, and we're going to get you into the ICU, and I'll come up and see you there, but you're doing good. Now, remember after he said that, like, you know, I'm praying to God, and I remembered that, and I'm, you know, and I just, and now I just keep thinking and I'm praising God that I woke up, right? Now, I don't know if I'm going to be paralyzed. I don't know at this point. But what I do know is I, I can see normal. I can see. I don't see double, triple vision. Um, you know, and so um, I get to ICU. They get me situated. The doctor comes in. He gives me a pad and paper, and he says, write your name. So I was able to write my name very fluently. Well, before, you know, as a 23-year-old individual, I write my name and it looks like a third grader, mm. right? Because I couldn't write. Like, I didn't have the coordination. Now I could write just fluently. That was a big deal for me. And I was just like, I couldn't speak because I had a tracheotomy. And, um, you know, but um, I knew I was okay. And he was telling me, you know, you're okay. You're good. Now, you know, I definitely have, you know, some issues stemming from it, right? But if I never told anybody that I had a brain tumor, no one would ever know. And it's just, uh, I'm just very blessed. And God really took care of me. Um, growing up in church you would always come across these people that would talk about God like they had a normal conversation like what you and I are having. God seemed like very real, like he was right there in the room with them and all that. And I, as a Christian, I, I, you know, I can say I'd never really experienced, like I prayed to God, I would read the Bible and all that, but I was always curious about having that deeper, like, having a relationship like that, like 
he was in the room with me like I'm talking to you. And I never really under, I never had that. But, and so I say all that to say, here I am, I, I, you know, at the time of the tumor, I was so angry with God and I couldn't understand why to where without even realizing it, I'm at the point to where I would pray and there were moments where I felt like God himself was in my living room with his hand on my shoulder and saying, buddy, I got this. So anyway, so now here I am, um, 25 years later from the tumor. I love telling my story. People ask me, I've been asked so many times, it's like, uh, you know, like, do you, not regret it, but like, you know, are you angry that you got a tumor or do you regret it or whatever? It's like, if God came to me right now and said, Michael, I'll turn back the hands of time and I'll make your life like you never had the tumor. Do you want that? I said, no, I want my life to happen just as it did. Because without the tumor, I truly don't know if I would ever see God as evident as I have. Like, I have seen God work in my life that people will only read about in the Bible. Mm. And for me to experience it firsthand, you know, I, I just, I, you know, I walk around like, how can people not believe in God, right? Um and so I, uh, to go from before the tumor, and yes, being a Christian, but not necessarily ever experiencing him on that personal level like I would hear from other people, God knew I was so stubborn that he needed to get my attention, and this is the way he did it. And now I, I just feel like I have a very intimate relationship with him. I don't think that would have happened without the tumor. Wow. And if that was the purpose of the tumor, so be it. I'm happy. And, and, um, and I've learned that through good times and bad times, the one thing that will happen is God will be glorified through it. Wow. And so I, um, you know, and so I'm, I'm grateful so I don't want to put words in your mouth, but let me ask you this. Would you say that there was purpose in your pain? Oh, 100%. 100%. And I, I think God doesn't do anything without purpose or intentional. I agree. And, so what would you tell the person who maybe, maybe just found out that they have cancer or maybe they just found out that they've got something happening in their life that is changing the course and not in a positive way, but they're going through something and you can relate to that. What would you tell them now that you're on the other side of that? What would you encourage them with? Well, whether you're facing, um, you know, a health crisis like I did or going through financial issues or whatever, I mean, we have no idea what tomorrow brings. Um, we have no, we're not promised tomorrow. God will hear you and God will comfort you. I can't explain how. I can't explain necessarily, you know, how it happens, but he does comfort you. And, it, and if you let him, he'll help give perspective 
to it. And it may not still come out to the same outcome you want. Like, I'm not able to have kids. Right. And I want a kid. And so I say, you know, give it to God. And God will help you either get through it, give you the strength to get through it, give you perspective, and help you through it. Hey, guys, we're uh, wrapping things up here. Michael, thank you so much for sharing your story. I'm reminded of the song, Graves into Gardens. I don't know if you've heard it. Here are some of the words. The God of the mountain is the God of the valley. There's not a place that your mercy and grace won't find me again. You turn mourning into dancing. You give beauty for ashes. You turn shame into glory. You turn graves into gardens. You turn bones into armies. You turn seas into highways. You're the only one who can. Hey, if you're listening to this today and you have had tragedy strike your life, maybe you've had circumstances beyond your control change the course of your life. Let me encourage you. God can change your perspective into a healing miracle, just like Michael's. But it's up to you to allow God to change your perspective. Pain is inevitable, but misery is optional. Change is possible. However, if nothing changes, nothing changes. Hey, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.